So I have a question. What difference does the risen Jesus Christ make in motherhood? Huh? That was pretty much an American motherhood. I'll let you go in a minute, children. First, this question. What are the moms feeling like today in Nigeria where more than 200 girls were abducted out of that school? You heard about it in the last week to be sold in the forced marriages. Or the moms, the South Korean moms who put their kids on the ferry a month ago for a school outing and that ferry capsized only a few hours later. Or the moms in Syria where their own government has bombed their homes and two million of them now live in refugee camps. Or the moms in Chicago, is it true that Chicago is America's homicide capital now? And so these three pictures, Nigerian moms begging us, the world, to recognize the atrocities that are happening in their nation. A singular mom looking out where the ferry left a few hours before, wondering, will I ever see my child again? A Syrian mom running through the bombed-out city, holding her baby. As we dismiss these children now, you thank God for them and the moms who love them. Go ahead, little ones, up through grade four. We love you very much. And there's some wonderful adults who are ready to help you know Jesus. You've seen the picture on the screen, my friends, many times. It really comes from several wonderful stories in the Bible. Could I invite you to join me on the shoreline of one of them? I think it's my favorite. It's in John's Gospel, the last chapter, chapter 21. There's a Bible underneath the chair in front of you if you didn't happen to bring a Bible. Somebody tell me, what page is John 21 on in the Bibles under the chairs there? Would somebody tell me that? What page is the John 21 on in those Bibles? 769. Thank you. That might make it easier for you if you need that help in finding it. It says in the first verse, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. You may know that there are two biblical names for that place called the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, usually when it's referred to the Sea of Tiberias, it's because of the event took place just offshore nearby the city of Tiberias, which is still there today. So if you were to go to the Holy Land, you can go to Tiberias. You may know that there was another town, Capernaum, and a third town, Bethsaida, just like there are three towns here on our lake, Geneva Lake. It tells us in the 14th verse of the 21st chapter of John, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Obviously, the story is taking place a short while after the resurrection, Easter Sunday, but we don't know exactly when. There's two pictures that come to my mind that I wonder if you would join me in thinking about for a moment. The first picture, if you can imagine uh, looking in the window of a house in Bethany, a couple of miles away from Jerusalem, just over the eastern hills. It's the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus and his friends stop there often, almost always for a wonderful meal. And John chapter 12 tells us that on the night before 
what we know as Palm Sunday, Jesus was there with all of his friends. And Mary and Martha had prepared a wonderful meal, and a large crowd had come and was looking not only to see Jesus, but there was another very special man at the table, Lazarus. Lazarus, it tells us in John 12, the Lazarus that had been dead and Jesus had raised him to life. <laughs> what a sight that must have been, huh? The next day was Palm Sunday. Five days later, Jesus was hanging on a cross and gave his life as a ransom for a sin-filled world. He was buried. Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead. That Sunday night, Pastor Chuck last week and I the week before helped you see in Luke chapter 24 that many of those very same people were together again in a house in Jerusalem talking about all the events that had happened and suddenly the resurrected Jesus was standing among them. He spoke to them. He showed them the scars. He even asked them if they had something to eat and he ate some fish with them. Now compare those two pictures. Is there a difference between the resurrected Lazarus and the resurrected Jesus? Yes. May I use the word for Lazarus revived instead of resurrected? We kind of understand that now. EMTs and doctors sometimes have to use CPR and sometimes even those paddles to start a heart that has stopped, right? And the person is revived. Life comes back to them again. They're still the same person. They still need sleep and food and water. And they still get sick and they will die. That's Lazarus, not Jesus. Paul tells us, as he's writing to the Romans, that he was declared by power to be the Son of God by his resurrection, Romans chapter 1, verse 4. The resurrection declared loudly for all who would see and understand, and the scriptures explained, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? His body was changed in the resurrection. No longer was it torn apart. It had been healed. The scars still remained. His body was different. It, it appeared. It disappeared. It elevated up into the sky. Eyewitnesses saw it happened. His body was very similar to what your body and mine will be when we experience the resurrection. Or if the Lord Jesus Christ returns right now and you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior, you are changed in the twinkling of an eye and given a new glorified heavenly body. What did it mean? What it meant for Jesus was entirely different from what it meant for Lazarus. It meant he is the Christ. His words are God's words. Proved his identity through his resurrection, Paul says. It means life change is possible and available for any person. For, for Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you may remember, in 1 Corinthians 15, if he is not raised from the dead, our faith is futile. We're still in our sin. It's hopeless. But because of the resurrection, there is hope, right? Hope for you and me to be able to be forgiven by God of our sin. Hope to be changed, transformed as he places his Holy Spirit within us. We are reconciled back to the Father. We are regenerated, a new spiritual nature awakened in us. The Holy Spirit is placed within us. We live with him residing, leading, guiding, teaching, convicting for the rest of our lives. And as we approach the end of our life, we have the confidence that when we breathe our last, we step into his presence for all of eternity. Amen? Peter now understood that because you remember as Pastor Chuck helped us, helped us to see last week in Luke 24, 
Jesus had opened their minds to understand the scriptures. But may I suggest to you that what happened in John 21, for Peter, it moved from his head to his heart. There are some people who come to Jesus intellectually. They reason there, C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, and others. There are some people who come to Jesus emotionally. They are overwhelmed by the love of God. They feel convicted in their heart, and they come to understand that forgiveness is possible. How does it move from the heart to the head, or from the head to the heart? That's God's work. And when God does that, my dear friends, life transformation happens in an amazing way, like it did for Peter. It tells us here that they fished all night. Verse 3, Peter had said, I'm going out to fish. And six other friends' disciples said, we're going with you. And they fished all night, and they caught nothing, it tells us there at the end of verse 3. That's not the first time you may remember that that happened to them on that lake. In the early dawn morning, as they're frustratingly beginning to work their way back to shore, they see a person standing on the shoreline, but they don't recognize who he is. And he calls out, friends, haven't you caught anything? No. That's one of those occasions that I'm glad the Holy Spirit didn't lead John to say what else they probably said in the boat. Drop your net on the other side, the right side of the boat, and you'll find some, John tells us that the voice said. And it says there in verse 6, And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I'm wondering, when Peter was out that night fishing, was he remembering another time? Dr. Luke records it for us in Luke chapter 5, you may remember. Jesus had been walking down the beach talking with people. And he came upon a couple of fishermen, Peter being one, who was washing his nets, weary from a long night of fishing where he caught nothing. The crowd grew larger around Jesus, and finally he says to Simon Peter, Would you mind if I got in your boat? and put out just a little bit so I can talk to the crowd. Now, you and I know what it looks like with boats right along the shoreline here of Geneva Lake. As the waves are coming in, there's usually an anchor rope holding the little boat in place. I suspect it's possible Peter stood and held the boat while Jesus talked and listened as Jesus talked to the crowd. I suspect that as Jesus was speaking, it was penetrating his heart because Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Get in the boat, and let's go out for a catch in Luke chapter 5. And Peter's response was, Lord, we fished all night, and we didn't catch anything. But because you say so, okay. Puts his net in the boat, and they go out. Dr. Luke tells us, evidently they came to a spot, and Jesus said, drop the net. And he did, and it almost capsized the boat because the catch was so big, he had to call for help. I'm wondering if when Peter was out this night in John 21, he was remembering that time. Memories are powerful, aren't they? So I want to ask you to remember right now, can you think back in your life, can you remember a time when something happened in your life that was very significant and you have no other explanation except God himself reached into your life at that moment? He did something that is unexplainable any other way. Can you think of something? Think back over your life. A medical experience. A financial situation a relationship that was healed again something in your life journey that you can hold on to as a memory God was there God reached into my life there you might want to jot it down in your notes there right there 
But that wasn't the only memory that Peter had. You see, when the net in John 21 was filled, I have a feeling he, of course, remembered that Luke 5 experience. And when that happened, he fell on his knees, Dr. Luke tells us, and says, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And I wonder if flooding into his mind came another memory. Only a few weeks before, the upper room, Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray me. He'd watch Judas leave. Jesus had washed their feet. And then Jesus had said, where I'm going, none of you can follow. And Peter had stood up and said, wait a minute, I'll follow you anywhere. I'd lay down my life for you. Oh, really? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll deny three times that you even know me. I wonder if that memory flooded him. You see, we have no evidence that between the time of Jesus' resurrection until this moment that Jesus and Peter had reconciled that problem. We're not given that in any of the accounts. It tells us here in, in John 21 that John recognized it was Jesus, and he said, It's the Lord, verse 7. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his garment around him and jumped into the water. Why? He was looking at maybe one of the biggest catches of his lifetime. And he jumped in the water to get to Jesus. Why? Have you ever carried the burden of shame? An event in your life where you would give almost anything to go back and take back the words that you said that deeply wounded people you love. But you can't. An event in your life where you made a decision and to this day you live in the shadow of that decision and you'd give anything to go back and change the decision, but you can't. Shame. Guilt. It's a heavy load, isn't it? And we've all carried it. All of us have carried it. May I suggest I believe that at least one of the reasons he jumped in the water was to get to Jesus. He needed to unload the shame. He needed to reconcile with Jesus he desperately wanted it to be right again. Now John doesn't tell us that, and he doesn't tell us what they talked about in the few minutes that they were together on the shoreline. But it appears to me that by the time the rest of the disciples were sitting around that campfire on that shoreline, Jesus and Peter had begun to reconcile. Memories. Remembering, my friends, shames us or positions us for an Easter grace encounter. Think about that with me for a minute. When you and I remember something in our past that weighs heavy on us, guilt or shame, in that moment it either positions you to further beat yourself up with failure or to celebrate that God can reach into that painful moment with His grace and heal you there as you will repent of that. Do you agree with that, friends? It's a powerful truth of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews tells us that he stands, he's in the throne room of God where he's been seated at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. He's our mediator, he's our advocate. None of us needs to carry the load of the shame or the guilt. But we can do like the song said, can't we? We can hold on and not let him reach in and change us. Here on the beach that day, it appears finally Peter opened up, unloaded the shame. And Jesus didn't judge him, he graced him. 
He wrapped him in his grace. Would you let him do that for you? If you're carrying a load of shame or guilt from something in your past, sit on the beach with Jesus. Look at his nail-scarred hands and understand that he did it so that you don't have to carry the load anymore. Do you agree? Hand it over to him, whatever it is, the words you said, the decision you made, the attitude, whatever it is. Turn from it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let a fresh wind of his Holy Spirit sweep over you and release you from that. And let it be for the rest of your life a memory of the unleashing of his grace into that shame place. Jesus said to the guys as they finally got the little boat ashore, Come, sit on the beach with me. Have breakfast. Don't you love that? It's the Sea of Galilee version of Daddy Maxwell's right there. <laughs> What's happening there? May I suggest to you that Jesus is doing it again. He didn't only come to be the great proclaimer of God's truth. He didn't only come to heal blind eyes and lame limbs. He didn't only come to go to the cross and die. He came to bring and live the love of God among us in a broken world. And as you read through the Gospels, don't you love seeing how often he gathered people around him, sometimes at a table to have a meal, sometimes on the shoreline, sometimes in a boat, sometimes walking along the road. And don't you love that very often, my friends, he received the people that other people shunned. Come have breakfast. Bring some of the fish you caught. Verse 12, none of them dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, and Jesus took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. John doesn't tell us what they talked about. <laughs> but, but in my mind, I see they had a wonderful morning breakfast. I'm sure they said thank you several times for the huge catch of fish laying in the nets. Do you suppose one of them said, Jesus, how do you do that? We fished all night. How did you collect that school of fish right under our boat? <laughs> Do you suppose one of them maybe even kind of jokingly said, you know, if you'd stay around a little longer, we could go into business and have a pretty serious business here if you'd collect these fish every couple nights. Probably not. But as you think about the relationship between the disciples and Jesus, does joy well up inside of you? Were they good friends? Remember in John 15, he said to them, you're my friends. God's given me a little vision for the summer. You know that I've been working on the summer theme, the 100 days of summer, for quite some time. Can I show you the picture? It's a little glimpse. There's where we're going to be going this summer. Three words, choices, because we all make them, changes, because changes follow choices, and connectivity, because none of us lives in isolation. We're all connected with one another. And when you make a choice, not only does it affect a change in you, but it affects other people, the people that you touch and you're connected with. But do you know what? There are people in this church who don't feel as though they're connected with anybody. Pastor Chuck and I hear that frequently. It grieves me deeply. Folks who come in week after week after week, they sit down, nobody talks to them, they leave. They don't feel connected with anyone. So I've got an idea. What would it look like if this summer we determined that by the end of the summer, nobody in this church feels alone? 
everybody has a friend or two or five. What would it be like if all of us determined we're going to make some new friends this summer? Oh, they don't have to be best friends, lifelong friends. Just make some friends. Just get to know some folks. You know that Don and I do this thing that we call the dessert on the pastor's patio from time to time. We had one this last Friday night, and we had new friends come and join us. Folks that Don and I greet at the door almost every Sunday, but we didn't know them. We'd never heard their story. Now we know their story. We're friends now. I'd like to invite you to experience that this summer. So what would it be like if we had some friendship groups? And those groups met four or five or six times through the whole summer just to enjoy time together. And just to do like they were doing there, sitting and talking together, getting to know one another, becoming a friend. If God stirs something up in you about that and says, yeah, I'd like to be a part of that. In fact, maybe I'd like to help lead a, a group like that. I've got an envelope for you. It's out at the Welcome Center with an explanation and an invitation to come to a meeting where a group of guys who've been meeting with me will help us unpack that with you. Only for the summer, friendship groups. Because my hope is by the end of the summer, nobody in this church is not connected in some way with somebody. Huh? What do you think? 100 days of summer, it's going to be very, very special. What happens in us when friendships are nurtured? Why are new Christ-united friendships so exhilarating? Have you met somebody for the first time and then you discovered they know Jesus too? And all of a sudden you felt this really close bond that would have taken a long time if you hadn't discovered they knew Jesus. That's going to happen this summer. They sat on the beach. They talked. We don't know for how long. And then John tells us that Jesus turned to Peter and called him by his birth name, Simon, son of John. That's recorded for us a few times in the Gospels, and usually when it's recorded, something pretty significant is happening. Now, I don't know what it was like for you when you were growing up, but when my parents called me by my full name, Douglas Mark Anderson, I, I wanted to hide under the bed. It probably wasn't going to be pretty. I, I don't get that sense at all here. Not at all. I think what, what Jesus is perhaps trying to do is clear away the clutter and get right down to the core because he's going to ask him, Simon, the conversation we're going to have now is not about your head, it's about your heart. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Agape love. More than these. The English language sometimes fails us in translating the Bible. This is one of those times. Agape love. It, it means it is the extreme of love. It's the kind of love you'd be willing to give your life for another person. Simon, son of John, look deep in your heart. Do you love me more than these? When he said more than these, was he saying more than they love me? Or was he saying more than you love them? Or you love the fish? Or you love your career? We don't exactly know. But may I invite you to ask yourself the same question? Let Jesus ask you, do you agape me more than anything? Peter's response, as you know, right there in John 21 is, Lord, you know I love you. But again, English fails us. He said, you know I phileo you. It means friendship. You know you're my friend and I'm your friend. That's not at all what Jesus asked him. But Peter was being honest with where his heart was. Jesus' response was unbelievable. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't push him aside. He said, he didn't say, Peter, you've disappointed me again. Not at all. He said, Peter, 
feed my lambs. Now, Peter wasn't a shepherd. He was a fisherman. But he lived in a part of Israel that he'd seen enough sheep and shepherd, and he had heard Jesus talk about sheep and shepherd enough, John 10 especially, that he understood that in a flock there are some really vulnerable ones, the little newborns. They can barely stand up on their little spindly legs, and they get run over so easily by especially the rams. So the shepherd is always watching to protect the little vulnerable ones and care for them. Sometimes they get separated from their mothers, and the shepherd needs to feed my lambs. Sometimes the used milk doesn't flow and the shepherd has to actually feed the little lamb. Could it be that Jesus was saying, Peter, Peter, I want you to feed the vulnerable ones. Share with them what you have learned in your journey with me. The ones that other people seem to overlook. The ones that aren't particularly attractive. Lepers? Others? Could it be that Jesus was saying, Peter, you've watched me. Nobody is too unimportant for me. So I'm inviting you, Peter, as you start to step back into this with me, notice the people who need the special touch and reach to them. Out of your love for me. Out of your heart. He asked him again, Peter, do you truly agape me? Look deep down in your heart. What do you see? Lord, you know I phileo you. You, you. you know we have a friendship. Take care of my sheep. Was Jesus looking down through time and seeing that great persecution was going to come to anyone who followed Jesus and there would need to be strong men to stand alongside of it and in some cases defend and encourage those who might be overrun by the pain of the journey, take care of my sheep. Finally, Jesus asked him a third time, only this time you know that he used that phileo word. Do you phileo me, Peter? How's the friendship check in your heart, Peter? Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. Feed my sheep. Peter, you're going to need to be one who teaches truth in a way that's understandable. John doesn't record that he, told it, that he said it there, but I wonder if Jesus in his mind was thinking, Peter, if I told you the story right now of what's going to happen in really just a matter of a few weeks, you're going to sense a call from me. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you to actually go into a Gentile's house, Cornelius, to speak my truth in a way that Gentiles will understand that I came for them as well. Could I invite you and me to consider the question? this morning look deep in your heart let him extend his hands to you and say this is how much I love you how much do you love me how widely have you opened your heart to me look deep within yourself is there anything that's clouding or distorting the relationship between you and me and then Jesus says you see it there? When you were younger, you dressed yourself as you wanted to. And you went where you wanted, verse 18. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And led by the Holy Spirit, John makes a commentary. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. 
the Peter that I've come to know in the Bible was pretty self-confident. Didn't really need anybody else. Pretty well always had an idea of the direction he was going, and it didn't matter if anybody else wanted to follow or not. But Jesus was saying, Peter, there's going to come a time that's going to be broken in you. They'll bind you and take you where you don't want to go. Your body will be so broken, you'll be so old, they'll have to dress you. But you'll bring me great glory in that broken place, that difficult journey. Weeks later, he was arrested, Acts chapter 4. And then again, Acts chapter 5, and this time beaten because he refused to deny the Lord Jesus. And then again, a short while later in Acts chapter 12, where he's in the dungeon awaiting execution. And history tells us he eventually was, in fact, crucified upside down as a martyr. And then Jesus said, follow me, Peter. It appears that they got up from the shoreline and started walking down the shoreline. We don't know exactly what they were talking about there, but you can imagine the conversation they were having because Peter's heart was wide open. Peter turned and looked back, and John was following them, and Peter says, but what about him? And Jesus said, don't worry about him. You and I are talking about our relationship now. You follow me. Friends, that's what the ladies were singing a couple of minutes ago. How is that for you? How's your heart with agape? How's your heart with follow me? I stand before you each week that I open God's Word and I do my best to open my heart to you and God's Word with as much openness and honesty and integrity as I can. And this morning I come to you with a bit of a heavy heart because follow me is going to be expensive to me. Here's a website homepage I want you to see. As David and April respond my daughter and son-in-law to the call of God on their life follow me is taking them from Williams Bay to Mali West Africa which is not all that different from Nigeria or the Sudan and as I watch the news of 200 girls stolen out of a girls school to be forced into marriages with men they've never met you don't think the picture of four little girls came into my mind You see, follow me is connected with, do you trust me? Do you love me? Do you understand how much I love you? Follow me. But honestly now, how many of us in this room would say, well, God, I'd be willing to consider it if. And there's a pretty long list of if. If I'll never go hungry, never miss a meal. If it won't be too hot or too cold. If I'll never feel as though I'm in danger. Sixty years ago, in this church downtown, from this town, the church family called Calvary Community Church sent my parents and me as a little boy from a comfortable life in Williams Bay to be missionaries. 
I now understand what my grandparents felt as they watched us go. 27 years ago, from this very platform, you sent my wife and I and little April to go. But it's different this time for me. But if all of us said, no, the price is too high, Jesus. The price is too high to follow you. There's at least six billion people today in the world who don't know Jesus Christ. And this morning our worship has been calling us to celebrate the wonder of redeemed, ransomed, changed lives. Amen? But there's a price. And the price is you and me first looking deep in our hearts. What is the authenticity and the depth of my love for my Savior? Looking deep inside to say, how much do I really care about the people around me who are going to spend a Christless eternity? How much does it really matter to me? And listening to him say, I love you. I've proved it. Do you trust me? Follow me. Follow me. And together, together, we will make an impact in this world. And the footprints that you leave on the shoreline of your life, whether you ever leave this town or this county or not, if you'll walk in lockstep with Jesus, will make your life worth living. Do you agree with that? Is there anything worse than coming to the end of your life and looking back and going, oh, what a wasted life. There's nothing of value in the journey. I praise God that as I look through this room, there are so many of you who've determined to the best of my ability, I'm going to walk it in lockstep with Jesus. So let's talk to him right now. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for the shoreline conversation and breakfast. Holy Spirit of God, thank you for leading John to record it for us. Thank you for the powerful example, Lord Jesus, of you rescuing us from the shame and the guilt of our failed past. By your resurrection power, Thank you for paying the sin price for us so we can be forgiven by a holy God because wrath was already poured out on you for our sin. Thank you for placing within us as we trust you, Lord Jesus, to be our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God who cleanses us and leads us and guides us and convicts us and teaches us. Thank you for the privilege of walking the journey in lockstep with you, following you, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus and trusting you that wherever you lead it's good there because God is there what's holding you back my friends from receiving an unleashing of God's grace into your pain place what's holding you back from searching your heart deeply to see is there anything that gets in the way of agape love for you and Jesus what's holding you back from following him. Talk to him about that. We worship you, Jesus Christ.